0: Welcome friends, it's Catherine Sidman, Sidco Cat, and this is my podcast. As a cannabis industry professional for the last decade, I have unique access to the experts, entrepreneurs, and enthusiasts who make this industry great. Join me and my guests as we dive into the people, processes, and products that make up this wild ecosystem of cannabis, psychedelics, and emerging medicines. Most of the time, when you hear an episode of this podcast, You're hearing the whole conversation. I don't heavily edit or redact or cut and splice these conversations. After all, it's just a chat. This time, circumstances were interesting. Ian and I recorded a whole long, beautiful episode a few months ago, and strangely, my entire side of the conversation was just not there. There was Ian laughing, agreeing, disagreeing, sciencing, orating, and then... A bunch of blankness, where my voice should have been. It's never happened to me with the tools that I used before, and I still honestly can't figure it out. That conversation was still so good. It was good for my understanding of this medicine, my relationship with Ian, and it was great for my heart. And what's amazing is how little redundancy there was between that conversation and this one. So much so that I did something a little different. I took some of the expert excerpts from that first conversation and added them here at the end. So this is really more than a chat. It's like a chat and a half. Ian is such a smart, inquisitive guy, and, and more than that, he's a great communicator. Sometimes there's a disconnect between the repositories of knowledge and those looking for knowledge because the communication aspect is missing the real power in the work ian is doing is not just in the work which on its own is significant it's in his ability to communicate it that's really the whole idea behind the high face spectrum which is a visual way to communicate the characteristics of mushroom medicine based on levels of five compounds not just one or two this work is foundational as we move forward into greater knowledge of and access to psychedelic mushrooms. I'm so thankful for Ian, I'm thankful for his work, but mostly I'm thankful for who he is. It's because of who he is that his work will be so useful to the community, and that's what makes it so important. Without further delay, enjoy my chat half with Ian Bollinger from IFA Labs it's <laughs> special this is a special thing for you and me doesn't do this for anybody else, so I guess we're gonna feel blessed by that um I love and, and that's the other thing is that functional mushrooms there's this beautiful Uh, And we can talk about your nootropics for a minute. There's this Mm. beautiful space where we have these nutritional mushrooms, functional mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms. And that that spot for functional mushrooms right in the middle is like a, it's a wide open space where we're not worried about criminality. You know what I mean? We're just worried about communicating the value to the customer. Talk a little bit about all those different places to be involved in this medicine.
1: So I believe that there's space for cultivators, for extractors, for, um, producers of, of products. So, um, uh, that I, I just recently connected you with, um, uh, um, Bob Johnson from, uh, CBD is better. Um, yes. does, a micro, micro boost, I think is his other group that does, um, uh, MCT oil suspended like, um, capsules and stuff like that. Um, like there are groups that have utilized that he has like a whole white label system involved like helping community get their products out to maybe meet those local markets that you're mentioning within your state um furthermore um there are groups that like extractors like i know tons of people that are doing like cordyceps tinctures or reishi tinctures and they need to do alcohol extracts of these things in scientific or or gmp kind of spaces very similar to how we already have like those kind of spaces for cannabis products so you have extractors that do exclusively work in that space there's space for cultivators like people literally growing you know lion's mane or cordyceps or reishi in their own house like People can do that, and there's markets for that, like beyond just your local farmer's market. Like, I can tell you that there are there are definitely um, people that make those tinctures that will source from local growers those mushrooms. So there's a whole grassroots economy capable of emerging from mushrooms full stop.
0: For sure, for sure. And there's so much... I feel like there's so much room in the space. I feel like... Um, if, if you come at it with some passion and some hustle and some, you know, willing to develop some skills, it's wide open. It's really, it's really big, but it's also challenging. It's challenging because there's a lot of noise, um, in the space right now. And we're sort of at that place maybe where CBD was a few years ago where, Everybody wants it, but they aren't sure why. And so some of the products of lower quality aren't going to have effects. And they'll say, the the risk is always they'll say, oh, I tried that. It didn't work because they had a lower quality product. And that's always sort of the bummer of this trajectory is, you know, you don't want somebody to try it and say, you know, it was a low quality product. They tried it. and Now they're just not going to try it again. Mm. So, you I think...
1: Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No,
0: no, no. You go. You make a high quality product. I love, I have both your lion's mane and cordyceps, um, capsules, love them. And they're, I can't tell you how excited people are about that. I take them with me. I bought a couple from you guys and Mm. I take them with me. And when I have a, have my podcast on the road, I'll just have them available, uh, on my table and somebody will sit down and I'm like, you you want a little chill or you want a little focus? What do you like? People will just take one and they love it. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, uh, cordyceps to me is like that great alternative to an afternoon cup of coffee. You know, I've yes, reached that exactly. age mm-hmm, where I can't mm-hmm, have coffee mm-hmm. after three in the afternoon. <laughs> I was
1: literally bemoaning that the other day. It's like, man, I fucking love coffee, but afternoon coffee is a bitch for my sleep.
0: I just, you know, but a cordyceps, cordyceps is perfect.
1: Yep. 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 It gives you that extra boost of energy. You don't need to worry about the caffeine drag. Um, it's just. It's. It's. And, and also, it's just like one of those things. that's accessible. Like I mean, I feel like people don't understand how powerful uh, microdosing. So I could talk about microdosing as a, a, an ancient tool and in technology, but yes. I'm just going to briefly say that microdosing anything is powerful. Like, let's not forget that. We microdosed ADHD and ADD children with amphetamines for the past thirty years. <laughs> microdosing amphetamines is literally what we did. So let's not talk. Let's not ignore the power of microdosing something like a mushroom. Okay, right. like the power right. of this is something that we need to recognize. Like if our medicines are willow bark distilled, you know, it's like Aspirin. what are the power. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what are, and I mean, hell, let's actually even talk about the fact that, you know, um, cannabinoids, isolated cannabinoids have been able to, have actually been used as a, a fight of COVID, as a, a treatment for COVID. Like, there right. are treatments now that have been tested for COVID based off of cannabinoids. Like, this is the space that we're in, where we recognize that these organisms, plants, fungi—they were the original biochemists—and they're teaching us through their generations of, of of genetic manipulation upon themselves or changing themselves to produce these compounds. Like we have come across some very powerful tools that we are just leveraging.
0: Well, and the whole micro whole idea of microdosing—you know—when I was first, if if we talk about it as like an ancient concept in medicine i think about homeopathy where Mm -hmm. if you know anything about homeopathy it's it's um i mean it's as much it's as much spiritual as it is science and it 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 banks on the premise that your body is very smart and your body is very wise and that if we give it a little signal just a little signal It'll kick something off. And I think that we're in an age, Ian, where we don't, I know, I know I've spent, I'll just speak for myself. Sure. Um, I'm not very good at micro anything, you know, I'm, mm. I'm good at, I'm mm. good at abstinence or a shit ton of it. On or off. Yeah. <laughs> like, I
1: hear you. Yeah.
0: You know, and my expectation when I take, when I take a medication, my expectation is that I'll have this Feeling, or it'll produce a result, or I'm, I'm, you know, it's going to be something where I go, okay, that just kicked in, or or whatever, and yeah,
1: exactly. Okay, there it is.
0: Over a year of microdosing, you know, I had spoke with a friend who described microdosing as, you know, you might get to the end of the day and go, huh, that was a pretty good day, and that, you know, that might be the only effect you notice, and mm-hmm. and it's been really interesting because you know um, for me, I've started being a better listener to my body, a better, a better consumer, a better steward. Do you know, does my body know things? Huh? Maybe I'll check in. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask <laughs> and see what yeah. that's about. And so I, I have found, um, really good personal success. I mean, I really love my relationships with my relationship with microdosing and, mm-hmm. um, it's been extremely beneficial. To me, um, but you know, it's d- difficult for me to quantify that experience. I can kind of qualify it, uh, but I look forward to knowing. You know, I I don't experiment as much with microdosing as I could because, Ian, I would it would just be a shot in the dark. You know, nothing that I'm taking is actually tested for potency or. So, so if I were to compare two products, I would really just be comparing my own perception, um, which is is what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not a calibrated mm-hmm. instrument, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, or I'm a constantly recalibrating well, instrument. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I would argue that the
1: human body is a very, very like I I'm gonna lean more in the homeopathy kind of thing. It's a very smart tool it under it's it's survived generations through smelling tasting and all of these other factors understanding its own thing it's only i think in recent terms that we've been so detached from our own physicality our own bodies that we have lost touch with listening to ourselves and what i love about microdosing as an ancient technology is it teaches us to recognize what baseline is and what small changes to baseline do. So it brings us more, it just as a, it's a discipline, it's a ritual that brings the discipline of being present into play. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
1: why I like microdosing, no matter what it is. Um, Microdosing meditation, microdosing, you know, it's again, it's a it's a practice, it's a, it's a ritual that we do when we enter into a space of taking something small to, in the hopes of recognizing the changes that impact us. Um, when it comes to really seeing and knowing ourselves better, I think that is one of the main goals or being more present is one of the main goals of almost any of these entheogens, like just being aware of what our bodies need. Like William Padilla Brown, a good friend of mine and citizen scientist, always um, has this idea that we are HPLCs. You know, it's mm-hmm. like my nose knows what cannabis I want to smoke.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's like
1: mm-hmm. I, I every time, every time I go in. And I'm smelling with my nose. I'm gonna be like, "Oh no, this is gonna put me to sleep." I, I if I'm gonna like end the night, yeah, I'm gonna hit this. But I'm looking to play a game of disc golf. I need something that's got to have a little more high notes, citrusy. You know, I need that sativa kind of like. You know, I could talk about Colorado strains. I could talk about California strains because they all have different names. But it's like I know my nose knows what it wants. You know, it's like I really do think that our bodies can tell us the things that we need if we've taken the time to sit down and you know sink into them a little bit more.
0: Talk to me about some of the interesting things that you've discovered. So you've done thousands of tests of mushrooms and products. Damn near,
1: yeah. Actually,
0: I would say it's—I would
1: say not say thousands, but it's definitely in the four digits.
0: Okay, so so talk to me about some of the things. Like early on, I made a note of it. Early on, you you mentioned briefly caps and stems. Mm -hmm. Um, Anecdotally, in the community, there's this sense that uh, caps are more potent than stems. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: well, tell me, tell me what you found around that and some of the other interesting things that, that you've discovered doing hundreds of these tests.
1: Um, so you know how earlier I had said that, you know, um, the, the evidence supported the argument you had made about, Mm. you know, smaller mushrooms being likely the more potent ones. Right. Right. Um, that I'm confident in the data pointing that direction. When it comes to the caps versus stems argument, there is no statistically significant data that could push the argument one way or the other. So there is our there is published data that says caps are more potent than stems, but not in a statistically significant way. Okay, like they are on average more potent, but when we consider the deviation between caps. It's it it's not statistically significant from the deviation between stems. Like they cover each other. There's overlap, a lot of overlap. But arguably, caps are on average more potent than stems. That is something that somebody could argue with published data. Our data that we've looked at so far does not point to that because there's, there are differences in cap size that I don't think are being accounted for when we're talking that's about that. Because there are some mushrooms whose caps are ma- – like Burma or something like that, which have like massive gills and like big upturned um, uh, 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 caps. Then there are things like uh, Yeti, which look like little snowmen whose caps are smaller than the stipes.
0: Right, and so it's right. Like,
1: and so it's like they're, – they're, they're, it, it, that's a factor that I don't think is being often discussed. And so what I would say, one of the things that I've observed is there is more variation – between a mushroom on one side of your bin to the other than there is between the cap and the stem of a single mushroom
0: interesting interesting and so
1: in that way i just tell people to eat the whole mushroom
0: eat the whole mushroom like, and your, then and if you're making medicine mushroom. like homogenize, homogenize a big batch. the whole
1: mushroom mm-hmm. yeah homogenize the whole mushroom like if you're gonna make a tea homogenize the whole thing like it's that's like it's like that episode of Seinfeld. I'm gonna date myself with with the muffin bottoms where they have that muffin top store. Yes. And so it's just like everybody loves muffin tops, but nobody wants to eat the bottoms. How what are we gonna do with all the bottoms? It's like and then Newman shows up with a bunch of milk and he's like, I'll handle this, Jerry. And it's just like yeah, it's like, okay, it's like who's gonna eat all the stems? Like I mean, are we gonna separate them into different products? I mean that could be one company's shtick. There's a market for you. Take it and run with it. It's like we we specifically only have caps in our products. And then the stem products are sold to other people to do with whatever. Or they're put back into compost. W- whatever, you know. Right. You, know, you do you, you know. Just like yeah, how we yeah. currently do like flower versus stems and leaves. It's like stems sure. and leaves still have cannabinoids. They can still be extracted. But flower might be put into something else.
0: When you decided to launch the uh, Hyphae Lab's no tropic products Mm -hmm. hyphenotropics yeah tell me how how you designed that offering and why why that's actually
1: a better conversation to have with reggie because that was actually his his child
0: more than anything else
1: so i would tell you to put a pin in that and have that conversation with reggie because he's definitely the 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 father of that idea
0: okay i will and I'm, I can't wait to do that. Um, <laughs> I tell me about the California psychedelic C- cup coming up and what, what you guys are doing for this event. I cannot believe that I'm not going to be there. I told Reggie, I'm You'll like, I will, you know what? It's, um, I have a lot of peace about it. I feel like, um, I'm leaving space for, for somebody else to moderate some panels and mm. do some good work. And, and I'm really excited. I'm ex- so excited. Um, And when the time is right, I can't say
1: who, but somebody is covering it, and so we'll be sure that you'll get to see some coverage of it.
0: Okay, well, I bet I bet that person is exactly the right person for the job, and I'm stoked for them. Um, I tell me tell me about the offering, and this is interesting. This is another thing, and this is uh, something that that Reggie and I spoke about, and you and I have spoken about, which is. As these events scale up, how do you keep them authentic? How do you keep them community focused? How do you keep them not commercialized and have the juice around it to promote them and and publicize it and make it big enough and have a big enough venue that everybody can join? It's like there's a tension between sort of commercializing it, which also makes it more available to people, Mm. and – keeping it community focused which means the ticket prices are going to be really high but there won't be any vendors there but people want vendors like as you design as you design all of this d- talk about just some of those discussions and decisions and not easy not no, easy. yeah no work. I mean you
1: have to make mistakes like again it's like when you're doing it yourself like the first like the the digital conference that we did we didn't ask for I don't think we got any outside uh, sponsorship support for the first one. Actually, no. We got some minor. We got some minor support for the first one to to do some digital to pay people to come in and speak, and because it was all during COVID, so it was all digital. Um, so in that space, like we had to learn to make mistakes about you know, like who would be good to be on a panel or how would we organize it, how would we plan the run of show because it was live. Like we were all it was all being planned as like a live event, so it's like people would hop in and move from one talk to another, and it was it was. It was good it was it was good in the space that we learned a lot of powerful lessons like who we could work with who really didn't vibe with us and we might not be able to do more work with then when we went into the oakland psychedelic conference in that fall like that was a different space where we had to recognize that we had to, we had to front a lot more money like the physical speed we did the starline social club in oakland uh, uh, i mean an iconic venue
0: right oakland. right
1: like and in that way, it's like we we weren't just looking to book like one section, we were looking to book the whole thing and it had been closed. That was the first weekend it had it had just reopened um, after being shut down during covid. Um, and so we were trying to manage not just, you know, the people, making sure that there was food available, trying to make sure that, you know, the the space was still welcoming and engaging, two different floors, having two different talks, making sure that there was enough seating and people and guidance and security. All of that was lessons that we had to learn. And, and, and I don't think we made major mistakes, but there were some hiccups here or there um, that we could have definitely improved on. Um, Like there are some talks that's like I wish the like the there was a talk that was happening downstairs was happening on the main stage, you know, other things like that. But those are lessons that we're integrating into this cup. Like, I mean, we've got tons of different talks. I I know we have um, psychedelics and futurism. I know recently we've put out the list like talking about I think it was like maternity and psychedelics. Um, Mushroom extraction has a whole panel psychedelics policy. There's um, going to be one specifically around the cup. There's going to be three different workshops around, you know, entry level, intermediate level, um, and then further leveling up your mycology. There's going to be um, a big group that we're really fans of, a table of our own, which is um, a documentary and, uh, and conference around BIPOC, um about just community showing that they can have a table of their own instead of having to get seats at other people's table. Right, um, right. Uh, I, can I you say
0: like, say the name of the organizer of that? Because I'm going to butcher it if I do it.
1: Aize Jama Everett.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: as well as like uh, um, a tons of other people. Um, there, I'm a huge fan of um, groups like Doorway Therapeutics, um, Courtney and Letitia from there, um, Kufi Kiri, amazing human being. Um, all of these are people that I know are like, bringing together and creating this space for discussion around what entheogens are in community for them. And I think that's exactly what needs to happen.
0: And you're at this, you're at this charmed time in the emergence of this market, you know, this space mm-hmm. where, um, you know, sometimes you walk through, you know, you're there for the conference, you go through the expo center and it's just, a lot of vendors, and it's just a lot of vendors and a lot of salespeople, and you know, I'm one of those. I'm one of those booth vendors, so I get it. I'm standing mm-hmm. out in the aisle, waving you down. You know what I mean? And it can just be a lot, but mm-hmm. we're at this. We're at this place specifically today where mm-hmm. access to those vendors is huge for people. I mean, this is huge. Yeah. They're like coming out of Instagram. Like, if you're not in Colorado and you don't have access to Pugot or you can't just. Go see Bear and hear what she has to say. If you want more than just watching her go Instagram live, this is the spot to find mm-hmm. those people and those product offerings. And mm-hmm. amazing. Oh, no, there's meeting.
1: gonna be celebrities that like nowhere else would they be like you could walk by them in Walmart and nobody would say anything. But right, at this right. space, they're celebrities. Like they're Absolutely. gonna be like, holy shit, it's she groves. Holy shit. Like can I get your picture? You know, it's like people are gonna be like that. And that's that's what's gonna be a that's what we're here for. It's like, I mean, it's like there are people that I'm super excited to have connect. And you know, it's like I remember at William Padilla Brown's um Um, in Pennsylvania when Reggie and I went out there um, I got done with my talk and then this tall blonde guy with a beard comes up to me and starts talking to me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I'll talk science with anybody, you know me. And right, then afterwards right. I find out that it's a guy that I got introduced to when I started in the cannabis industry, future forty it's Dustin. Yeah, you know, it's right, Future Forty Two Hundred. Right. It's just like, oh shit. I I've been following you on Instagram for like months. Yeah, you know, like for actually for almost two years at that point. You know, it's like it's right. just like, oh, that's cool. I didn't even know, you know. You know, stuff I was, like that
0: it's like, I was stoked in Oklahoma at Oklahoma canacon just just earlier this month mm-hmm. or last month whatever day we are um <laughs> right. I was I was stoked to see um mycology vendors there. Pugod, colorado I was surprised to god colorado I was surprised
1: to hear it I was glad to hear it like yes. um uh I think snack pack was there
0: mhm mm-hmm. we had yeah, there were yeah, yeah. people with people with spore prints people with genetics people with substrate um I, I'm I'm here for it and it, people ask me all the time yeah you know, it's everybody's favorite question what's the future of cannabis? and they get a little bit annoyed when I say mushrooms but in some regard it's been rejuvenating it's been a breath of fresh air in a musty room of corporate cannabis you know what i mean so
1: let's let's not forget that the majority of the things that we are talking about when it comes to again plants and fungi are the original biochemists they exist in a ecosystem they don't exist by themselves like the cannabis that we've been growing in in homogenized environments environmentally sealed locations are not the uh lineage are not the best representatives of the wild lineage that existed before yes they might be more potent but shit do you know how hard it is to find a 15 percent cannabis product these days like Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible Mm -hmm. because it's it's getting it's leaving the state because nobody can put that on a shelf but it's fucking it's terrible because (laughs) like how am i supposed to introduce somebody to cannabis like i had a friend bring that up
0: yeah and ah And sometimes that super high level of THC means that I can't consume enough of it to get the medicinal properties from the rest yep. of the plant. Just anxiety. And, oh thanks. And here's another and here's another one. And this comes right back to your wheelhouse, Ian. I gotta call bullshit. I just call bullshit on mm. any can, on cannabis flour that's like over I think my my number where I put my steak in the sand is like twenty-seven percent. Bullshit. Okay. I call okay. bullshit that 27% by weight of the molecules in that flower are not chlorophyll and cellulose and water and carbon and all these things that make up the structure of the actual plant and flower. But you're mm-hmm. telling me with 27, 30, 35% of it is just THC. I don't buy it. And I think that that's the market has driven testing labs. The market favors test labs that test higher. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they're cheating and I'm not saying that they're padding. Although certainly, Mm -hmm. certainly Mm -hmm. that's a business model in the space. Mm -hmm. But I am saying that we have been so selective in our testing process where we're taking the very tip of the very best, most frosty flower or what have Mm -hmm. you. And, and we're developing methods that hyper exemplify the THC without speaking to anything else. And it's um, I think it's gonna go away. And I th- and I would challenge um, the guy who's growing fire weed that tests at 16, 17%. Own that shit. Mm-hmm. Own that shit and call it low hitters. Call it something, mm-hmm. give it a name. That makes it approachable to people. There's a market for it.
1: Absolutely. That's the issue that I think advertising is at fault here and marketing is at fault. Um, Are you familiar with the uh, famous American philosopher Bill Hicks?
0: No. Am I? Sounds familiar, Uh, but I I can't. He's
1: he's a comedian. I I argue comedians are modern philosophers. Of course they are. Um, If you're not, there's a great documentary on Netflix called American, the Bill Hicks story okay um he's he's a i believe he's um arguably um one of the most seminal modern commenters on american culture from the 80s into the 90s um very insightful very scathing and i have a conspiracy theory in my head that he was uh given cancer because of the way he uh um spoke about s- spoke about some people mm. internationally he has mm-hmm. a a yeah. british um set where he literally tells hey anybody here in marketing yeah yeah really great kill yourself
0: Oh, seriously wow. kill you yourself
1: like and then he's just like straight up he's like you're not helping humanity like you're ruining everything what makes us good you're driving us to do things that we don't want it that, that are unhealthy mm-hmm. for us yeah kill yourself it's like, and it's like, literally like, that is something that one, you'd never be able to hear this day and age. Like that is something that you can't do in this day and age, but that is something that in and of itself, it's like, he was calling out the, that was the only person that was actually calling it the outrage at what marketing has done to a generation, generations of people. Like it's convinced people that, that Coca-Cola polar bearers are going to be nice to you. It's yeah. like, yeah. Like, no, they're not. They're going to maul you. They're going to eat your face. Like, right. I'm sorry, polar bears are bears.
0: And they're more like, likely to eat your face if you're fat because you're consuming a swill of coke. high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> and, and you know, and, it's true. It's like on the one hand, I, you know, as a salesperson, as a marketer, the the challenge of that, of telling the brand story and the rest of it, I love it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a hype man. I just am. If I am my truest authentic self, I get more satisfaction out of introducing people to other people or to products or to resources or to websites. I get more satisfaction out of the introduction than I do mm-hmm. any kind of purchase order. Like if I was, that's what I want to do. I just want to introduce people to other people and things. I I just, I'm wired that way. I realize it. I'm leaning into it
1: and yep, i love yep, it
0: yep. and and yep. and you also see how um that's different than creating a marketing campaign around a medication with terrible terrible side effects because you just want to sell a lot of it before it gets pulled from the market you know what i mean it's, there's mm-hmm. there's levels of this there's levels of this ian And it's it's again.
1: This is why I think that the industry is a bad space for us to focus on. It's the community Mm. that we need to focus on because Mm -hmm. the industry are the people looking for those loopholes, looking for those spaces where I can make my buck and get out. In my in my mindset, like this is when I think about industry. Those are the people that I want to avoid. Are those people that are looking to wheel and deal, make their buck and get out? Um, I'm looking for the longevity of this space. I Mm. want people. 10 years from now to remember that the gentleman that discovered Bayosistin and Norbeosistin. Do you guys I mean people know Dennis McKenna? Right. People right. know right. people know Albert Um Hoffman, you know, sure. but very few people know Albert Lung. Yeah. Or Leung, L E U N G. Um, he's uh one of the guys that in the 60s uh discovered the novel comp, I mean, the, un, up to that point, undiscovered compounds, baocystin and norbaocystin, um, which are, uh, precursors to psilocybin.
0: And so important. See, that's all, you know, just like, just like in the, in the, and I know I keep coming back to cannabis, but it's what I know. And there's so many similarities like THC potency, Isn't everything you know? We we start talking about the entourage effect. We start talking about terpenes. We start talking about minor cannabinoids. We're just at that conversation now. And what I love is that you have developed your own way of communicating that spectrum of of chemicals, the spectrum of compounds within the mushroom medicine, and and how. How they relate together, how they work together, and it is innovative. And of, of your work that I'm aware of, I am probably most excited about the hyphae spectrum. Can I just say that?
1: I appreciate that. No, I mean will it's you, one t- of those. those tell things us that, what it is. Yeah. Um. In 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 brief, um, the hyphae spectrum is an attempt to take a conversation around single con- single compound potency and smear it across it like it's it, like a color is like if we think about um pigmentation and color like red green blue pigmentation or even c- cyan yellow magenta pigmentation mm-hmm. it's like you have certain amounts of each of those pigments put together to get a color and it's like we need to recognize that if we have certain compounds present in mushrooms, all of those different compounds play a role. Um, I have a whole rant. I'm not going to get into the deep part of the rant, but the idea being that the ensemble of all of those compounds is more important than any single one compound. Mm -hmm, And just mm -hmm. like in in pigmentation, it's like all three of those colors play a, a role in the final color equally. Like it's not like, you know, just because one has a higher number Th- that's fine, but it doesn't mean that its role is not one third of the color.
0: Right. So know? if you're looking in, at in if this- you're looking at the color, if you're looking at a, a beautiful, let's say, orangish peach color, mm-hmm. ye- yellow might be the primary component,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and then maybe even after that, you know, we might have we might have some red in there, but without that little drop of blue. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be that color anymore. It It would would just be something completely other. So you develop this, it's a, it's a visual way to interpret test Mm -hmm. data when Mm -hmm. you do a complete spectrum of testing. So we're not talking anymore about just testing psilocybin or even Mm -hmm. psilocybin and psilocin. Now we're talking about Mm -hmm. baocystin. We're talking about norbaocystin. We're talking about Mm -hmm. other things. What are the compounds that comprise the hyphae spectrum?
1: Right now, we are looking at, for specifically for the cup, I'll talk about, but we do uh, do analysis beyond these five. But right now, we're looking at five compounds of interest. Um, we're looking at three phosphate tryptamines, and those are psilocybin, norbaocystin, and baocystin. And then we're going to have two hydroxytryptamines. That's going to be silicin and norsilicin. And the reason for this is an understanding that there are roles each of these compounds can play that some we are aware of, some there's anecdotal evidence for, and some that we know of but have yet to see in appreciable amounts in fruit bodies. But I, I do believe that they exist elsewhere, um, i.e. mycelium, if we end up going into that space. But that's a whole different conversation. Um, but right now, let's just talk about like psilocybin and psilocin. Um, psilocybin doesn't actually have a a, um, psychedelic effect. It needs to be digested into psilocin, or I mean, the correct term is dephosphorylated. The phosphate group on the psilocybin gets removed and turned into psilocin now. And that compound is actually the one that is giving you the psychedelic effect. So if you can imagine, I talk about psilocybin or specifically the phosphate group, it's like a time release.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You can... it's going to take time for your body to um, digest that and then slowly give you a drip of that silicin over time which is why uh, mushroom trips tend to be more lengthy well and isn't that than, why um, lemontech is a thing that's one of the reasons why tech it's a pre-digestion if you will um, just mm-hmm. like you um, you use the acid in um, as well as a little bit of the water to really uh, which is acidic it's an acid and a base, but that's a different conversation. Um, The acidity to pre-digest the psilocybin into psilocin. And so it's going to hit you a lot faster and probably hit you a lot harder, but it's going to last a lot less time. And if we think about some of the other compounds, um, there's baocystin, which has its analog, just like how psilocybin gets turned into psilocin. Baocystin turns into silicin. and that pair we actually know that there is a there is data pointing towards that um beocystin and in in fact um nor-silicin likely do not have a psychotropic effect like they does not induce a psychedelic state however Um, there is still likelihood that they bind to 5-HT or serotonin receptors. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a space within our body we jokingly call the second brain. That's our gut, where there are ample amounts of 5-HT receptors. So just because we're not mentally feeling it, doesn't mean that our stomach might not be having those compounds bind in that space. Um, I argue that could be a factor in either stomach disruption, like maybe nausea, mm. or it might have a factor in easing nausea, making it easier, maybe maybe more palatable. I don't know. I, I think that's a study that should be looked into. Um, alternatively, then there's also norbeocystin, which has its own um, it's a phosphate version and it has its own silicin like version which actually doesn't have a fun name if we wanted to name it we could name it um, but it's um 4-hydroxytryptamine so norbeocystin and 4-hydroxytryptamine are the pair and we don't know of an effect in that space either but of the two beocystin and norbeocystin and norsilicin and 4-hydroxytryptamine 4-hydroxytryptamine is the most similar to serotonin, which is 5-hydroxytryptamine.
0: Isn't that interesting?
1: And so there has to be an effect in that space. Maybe it's a uplifting effect, a serotonin-like uplifting, like, oh, a pleasantness that we might feel. So maybe higher amounts of norcilicin might increase the likelihood of a uplifting or positive trip. So you see what I'm saying? Like, we don't know. Like these are things that we need to have investigations into that are going to help us to understand the general profile. Just like we've looked at like CBG or THCV Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. different factors in cannabinoid analysis and how that can change the high. We know, I believe that there's, I, I don't say we know. I say that there's ample space, low hanging fruit for us to look into those compounds. And you brought it up earlier. Wood lovers' paralysis. Mm-hmm. I have a mm-hmm. hypothesis that that is tied to the erugenacin, which is another psilocybin-like compound that has its own psilocin version, which is doesn't have a name again. It, it's a it's got a fancy name: uh, NNN um, trimethyl four hydroxy trimethyl tryptamine. It's a long name. It's a silly it name. Is. Um, it is. It is. It needs to have a, a, a more dense one. So it's like aruginacin. Maybe it could be, uh, you know, some like version of that for psilocin. I don't know. Uh, regardless, aruginacin um, and its counterpart might play a role in wood lovers paralysis. Hypothetically, um, very similar to um, the trimethyltryptamine group, I believe plays a role in where it might bind to skeletal muscle 5 HT receptors um and it might cause a uh, inability to move or immobility in that space which honestly that could be a bug or a benefit sure. depending on how you slice it like sure. so if i'm deep in you know psilocybin land and i'm not even interacting with things around me i'm interacting with like dmt elves or you know something like fantasy things in my own space i might not want to be walking around
0: Right, While that's happening. Right, right. Yeah, I
1: might want to be immobile if I'm in that space. So that's kind of where I argue that there's this understanding in these compounds. And that's just um technically beyond psilocybin, psilocybin, that's just six compounds that we know are present just due to the metabolism of psilocybin. Like, there are other compounds that are present that are likely played a role. Um, people talk about beta-glucans as a source of the stomach disruption. And so maybe there's an understanding of looking at those and quantifying those and looking yeah. into that. Like, I, I just think that there's so much low-hanging fruit when it comes to the analysis of just psilocybin mushrooms that, I mean... And hell, psilocybin as a species. Like there are different profiles between psilosope natalensis, psilosope tempanensis, or silosope mexicana var tempanensis, which are sclerotia, and silosope cubensis. Like there are dramatic different profiles when it comes to those different organisms. And so Finding organisms that might have better profiles, like the sinescence, the subarogenescence, the erogenescence. Like maybe we can find those compounds present in other profiles that might be worth expressing for different needs.
0: There's so much. There's so much to do. There's so much work to be done. There's so much analysis to be done. There's so much community to build. I, I, I'm excited by it. It inspires me. These kind of conversations, Ian, where we talk about not just what we know or what we think we know, but what we want to find out. Like mm. this is where it gets so exciting because this is in the trenches. This is the work. And I'll tell this you, is the work. I, you know, I was talking to somebody last year at this time, uh, in Oklahoma. And I said, you know, next up, is mushrooms. And they're like, now we got, we got cannabis in Oklahoma, but I don't think we're going to get mushrooms. And I disagree. I think the difference, a huge, you know, the more studies that come out, the more information that comes up out about the efficacy of mushroom therapy for depression, PTSD, anxiety, all of these things. um, Mm -hmm. There's a, there is a segment of the population that is pro-military and, and keenly aware of the fact that we have damaged so many men and women, um, Mm -hmm. with, with this ongoing war over the last 20 years and their deployment. And, um, I believe that, you know, by showing good, you know, by showing that these compounds help people struggling with PTSD and depression specifically, Mm -hmm. that, That is going to allow further and further decriminalization because even people who don't necessarily align themselves with a a decriminalization mindset or plant Mm -hmm. medicine mindset, they want to help veterans. I think that's one of those places back to the beginning of our conversation where you said, I can stand with you on eight of 10 things. Like there are people that maybe the only thing we have in common is we don't want veterans suffering. Maybe that's the only thing that we could agree about is these people who did what they felt like was, you know, a a contribution to their country out of patriotism and, and, you know, those sort of motivations, we want to support them and we want to help them get better. And I, I think that if we focus on that, we can make a lot of progress around this medicine in a lot of places that maybe have not been traditionally accepting of other plant medicine
1: i think so i mean people talk about it this way and i don't think so okay first off congratulations to drugs for winning the war on drugs <laughs> they, they
0: kicked ass <laughs>
1: yeah i know i mean for, for all the of all the long wars i'm glad to see the outcome of i'm glad to see the war on drugs end on the side of drugs yes um <laughs> second um let's not forget that I, I think that they were right um i mean cannabis is a gateway drug yeah yeah i mean but it's it's just this idea that it's a it's it it, drug is a very fun word so you know me i'm a huge fan of of looking at words and trying to maybe break them down in different ways um i believe if i'm correct a general definition of the word drug is any compound entered into a biological system that dramatically changes or induces a change within that biological system Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. argue, what are the three most influential things? I think I've asked you this before. Three most influential drugs you face on a daily basis.
0: Uh, wow. Okay. Well, sugar.
1: Yes. Sugar. Number one.
0: Number one for me. Um. Man, it would all be food related for me. I mean, things that change my life, mm-hmm. food related. And then esoterically, you know, there's that... Um, all the all the good serotonin I get every time somebody likes one of my bullshit Instagram posts. True,
1: true, true, true. You know, true. true what are true, yours? True. That is a medicine. That is a medicine. Sugar, fat, salt.
0: Sugar, fat, sugar, salt. fats. There you go. Those are the. Th-
1: I argue those are the three most influential drugs any American faces on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I I think that those three things. So like I said, like you said, like the, the this food based. Because that's literally like we are consumptivores. We are what we consume, whether it be ideas, somebody liking my post on Instagram yes. or, or, or a podcast, yes. or whether it be me consuming somebody's podcast and learning something new from it. Like I do yep. with yours, you know, it's like, say it's, it's just like these things, like this is where we're at. Like this is where we recognize we can have these conversations. So when it comes to drugs, like, yeah, cannabis is a drug. It's a gateway drug. And it introduced me to all these other plant medicines that we argue are drugs. And it's like um, in in uh, older Western traditions, like Druidic traditions or, or witch, witch-like traditions, there's this concept of the poison path. And the poison path is a space that is is guarded very, very deeply. As far as like understanding the, t- the lessons within it and what the lessons are. I think that one of the most important things to talk about it, it's not – some people think it's gate kept, Like you're not allowed in kind of a thing. It's, it's, it's more of a – you're trying to protect the plants and the people. Because if, if people were just willy-nilly allowed to take hemlock,
0: there would be a lot more deaths.
1: You know, well, it's sure. like if people what's
0: didn't the, what's the saying, you can try any mushroom once. Yeah. Everything <laughs> anything's edible.
1: Anything's edible. Like one any time. mushroom is edible at least once. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> um, it's whether or not you survive to eat it again. That's a different conversation.
0: That's, that's the question. There's so much you know what? This is what I want. Um, because we could do this all day. We could do oh, this I know. all day. I know. And one I know. day We've we already
1: should. gotten two two almost hour long chunks in.
0: Um <laughs> What I want to leave people with is this wonderful, expansive sense of optimism. And um, I'm so inspired by your work and it's not just your work and it's what you bring to it in spiritual places. It's this idea that the knowledge, the the data is there. We just have to go get it. We just Mm -hmm. have to develop it. It's all there. The answers are there if we can formulate the right question and figure Mm -hmm. out how to act on that. And so Mm -hmm. knowing that there are people in the space that are working so hard, And you know them. You know who they are. They're people who work with you. They're people who've opened up labs because they're curious too. They're people who are interested. They're people who are cultivating. They're people that are consuming. They're people that are praying about it. There's people that are seeking wisdom all over the place. And, and, and it is that spectrum idea, again, that our learning is going to happen without additives of different color. We're going to need the spiritual component and the indigenous component and the historical component and the scientific component and um, you know, all of that data is going to to be constantly adding to this picture of what we know about this medicine and I'm just excited about the work that you're doing and I'm so thankful that it's available to the community and that there's a community focus element and mm. it's it's exciting.
1: Well, you know our motto. Fuck around and find out.
0: That's right. Um, I One always day like that's to gonna be printed. On. One day that's going to be printed on a shirt in my size, and I'm going to buy it.
1: <laughs> um, we'll hook you up. Trust me. Um <laughs> Right I've now heard this I before, always add Ian. on. I, no, no no trust me. I've already I've already talked to Reggie. I'm like there's there are definite sizes because he I mean there are definite sizes that we need to cover, especially for um this new I'm a huge fan of the new cup art. Like the new cup art's really good. But oh my gosh, fuck around so and find good. out is our motto. I always tag on the line and write it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, honestly, that's that, that statement, fuck around, find out, and write it down, that is literally the Venn diagram, the centerpiece of the Venn diagram between science, ancestral medicine, like anecdotal an- ancestral medicine, and personal growth.
0: Absolutely. That is the Absolutely. centerpiece
1: of all three of those. You, you're you're really able to center in. And if you do those things, you are supporting each one of those things. You as a citizen scientist, you as a person looking for self-growth, and you as a person looking towards anecdotal and ancestral value.
0: Yeah. It is. And I and I love I love that this medicine lends itself to such a beautiful harmony amongst those different aspects. Because Mm -hmm. there isn't a difference. There's not, um, this isn't the science coming in in some sort of like pejorative colonial way saying, no. This is the science. Yeah. Thunder and lightning isn't God rearranging furniture. It's this other phenomenon. It's not that bullshit. It's not debunking. It's we want Mm -hmm. to know why this has been working for so many cultures for so long. We Mm want to know, you know, we see, we see what, what has been done, what's been worked with, what's been successful, what's been beautiful, what's been culture building, what's been affirming. We see it and we want to know more. And we have these tools of analysis at our disposal now that maybe we didn't have a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or 10 years ago, right?
1: And I'm here to help people onto my shoulders. I, I stand on the shoulders of giants. The next generation need to stand on mine.
0: You bet. Oh my goodness. I just had a, I just had a picture of us um, at a concert with me in my fuck around and find out. Also write it down hoodie on your shoulders, cheering on the stage. So we're going to, I'm, I'm just, we don't, we don't actually have to reenact that, but metaphorically (laughs) speaking, I'm here with you. I want, would you tell everybody all the ways they can be in touch with you and your projects? Cause it's so much fun to do to follow you.
1: Um, absolutely um, you can reach out to me directly um, ian at org, or you can reach out um, generally info at hyphaylabs.org um, We also have our instagram at highfay you can uh, reach out and support all of our events through um, at oakland underscore hyphae on instagram. Um, we also have our notropics which is at hyphay notropics. We are going to be releasing I believe we're going to be releasing a new setup for, Um, getting those no tropics um, digitally here in the next couple of months. So look forward to that. If you've picked up some, if you need to pick up some, we will be at the California psychedelic conference, which we will be in person next weekend down in LA. Um, If you want to find out more information or get tickets, um, feel free to look up on our Instagrams and you can definitely get us to our link trees on there.
0: That's awesome. Ian Bollinger, um, Godspeed to you, my friend and all God's blessings on your work. Um, personally and professionally, I'm for you, man. And if I could ever be of service, it would just bless my socks off to do it.
1: Catherine Satterman, it's always a pleasure. I always love our conversations. I love being able to sit down and have a two-hour talk about something as ridiculous as science and mushrooms. So (laughs) if you're ever down to have those conversations or just hang out and smoke, you know I'm here for it. Especially going to be missed down in LA, but look forward to getting to hang out next time you're out.
0: I love it. I love it. All right, my friend safe stay healthy
1: i would argue for the human experience definitely there's a space for us to really share in this understanding the importance of words um I think that there is value in also taking accountability for and I mean learning about ideas like self-fulfilling prophecies. This idea that if you speak it, like if you say I can't do X, there are actual barriers you're building in your head by doing so. Um and so there's a there's a reason why some people don't hire people or don't want to work with people that are big you know naysayers people that are just negative thinkers it's like well because some people don't like to play hurdles some people just want to do a marathon run like other people like to do hurdles like where it's just like well we can't do this but we can do this if we jump this way or do that thing so it's like understanding how we function best is within these spaces of both mental word word games and also interpersonal word games. I think it's important because, again, language is how I'm building the reality in my own head, whether it be through visualizing um, what's being told to me or whether it's me trying to channel into words what I am envisioning in my own mind. This process of shared space um, is one of the lessons that I think these entheogens, whether they be uh, cannabis or mushrooms or Bufo or MDMA, they can help us bridge the gaps between um, the communication barriers that we've previously built. So I think there's great value in learning lessons from cannabis in this entheogen space. Um, one of the most important lessons I think we can take away from the high times um, cannabis cups was some of the original ideas about what was desirable and how we build the hierarchies to describe those desires. Um, Michael Pollan um, wrote his book, um, A Botany of Desire, I read it in college and it really inspired me. And he talked about how, you know, there was relationships or desires that we would have for each of these different plants. Tulip was beauty. Potato was control. Cannabis was intoxication. And so this desire for intoxication was what was associated with, I I recognize the early era, early generation of cannabis. And most people associated that intoxication with strict THC. That association became something that I believe is detrimental to the species and to our relationship with that species. Um, Because now this discussion became about, oh, well, the competition was highest THC potency. Um, That left this hierarchy of first, second, third, to the point to where what was at the bottom of those top-down lists probably didn't get planted in the next generations, and subsequent years that focus on just high THC potency, um, we do not know how that has changed expression of other cannabinoids or other terpenes within the plant. So what biodiversity is lost? I think it was Hamlet. Um, Well, Shakespeare, I guess. Uh, Brevity is the soul of wit. This, this idea that if you can say something shortly and concisely, then you're actually showing some great level of intelligence. Um, I believe that that is also true when we say the idea, a picture is worth a thousand words. So those are the same ideas, but it's changing the dimension, if you will. Instead of it being the word dimension, we're talking about the the visual dimension, the onset of the audio dimension. We're talking about the visual dimension now. So if we have an infographic that can really display that really complex procedure, I don't need a a six-page instruction manual if the infographic does the job right, if the video does the job right. A video is just repeated pictures 60 times, 70 times a second. So that's 70,000 words a second. I'll take it. Exactly. Um. So talking about mushrooms specifically, um, uh, when we're talking about different strains and things like that. So what kind of makes a strain? Well, the th- interesting thing with mushrooms is there's multiple mating types when it comes to mushrooms. So it's not like you just have a, a male and a female. You can have um, up to I don't know actually if we have dis- if we have discerned how many different mating types there are in Psilocybe um, as a species, um, specifically even in Cubensis. Um, uh, so this, this is part of that low hanging fruit that we still need. Like, I think William Padilla Brown is one of the first people to have brought the discussion about, uh, breeding types and Cordyceps to the table. Um, and I think in that space, uh, he's pointed out, I think like six, that are the major breeding types. There may be more, but those are the six major classes that they see in Cordyceps. If we can imagine that there's at least six for Celassibi cubensis, um, that's one of the things that kind of defines um, where you can call them cultivars, we could call them strains, whatever you want to refer to things like Golden Teacher, Purple Mystic, you know um those are ones that are going to be for the most part um bred amongst themselves so it's like they're going to have their spores cross with their own spores so it's like if you're going to get a spore print of a single cap that's going to be a bunch of different mating types for that one let's say golden teacher all in that little spore print so you could just take that spore print and get it in grow that up on an agar plate or get a liquid culture of that take some of that liquid culture inject that into um your cultivation substrate and get mushrooms it will be the same uh strain cultivar whatever you'd like to refer to it as because again opening up the language here i don't want to tell people that there's one way to describe these things um uh, lineage however you want to refer to it um that's going to be a one method of doing it other people will take some of the spores and try to get like one spore isolated like dilute that spore syringe so much to where you only have one spore growing on a plate like if you can get that kind of an isolation that means you have only one genetics one braiding type on that plate that's kind of what william pity around does for his cordyceps if you can get down to one genetics on a plate one braiding type then you can start crossing different breeding types um, and that's something that we have yet to even try to do in a upfront way. Like, I guarantee you people have been doing this stuff, but nobody's been able to publish their data or wants to talk about it because this is kind of the, the black market side of the citizen science researchers. And so some of the work people have been doing has been taking like isolations of, let's say, Golden Teacher and crossing it with B+. Plus. Or some other isolation, trying to see if they'll mate. Sometimes they don't. Most of the times when they're far, like if they're far um, distantly related, then they won't mate at all. Like they'll, they'll just grow on the plate and they'll just compete against each other. They won't actually um, form clamp connections between the mycelia, which are what are necessary to produce fruit. Well, honestly, it's a conversation that we need to still have. Um, one of the things that we can always talk about right now is psilocybin and psilocin. So psilocybin, so when I was developing the high-phase spectrum, its initial space was looking at psilocybin as an x-axis and on a graph, and psilocin is like a y-axis on the graph. And if we, oop, I lost you again. <laughs> um, psilocybin is going to be on the x-axis. Um, I'm sorry, sorry. Psilocybin on the x-axis, psilocybin on the y-axis. So horizontally, you're going to look at psilocybin, and to me, like I said, it doesn't have a direct effect that we're aware of. It needs to um, be uh, metabolized into psilocin before you can have an effect. So if we look at that, it's like a time release. So if you have large amounts of psilocybin, that means over time, you're going to still have psilocybin being converted into psilocin. And so you're going to have a longevity of your trip, kind of duration and longevity be represented by psilocybin content. And as far as how I read this kind of interpretation of how psilocybin metabolizes. Psilocin, on the other hand, like if you just took straight psilocin, It would travel into your body, go through your bloodstream, cross the blood-brain barrier, and you'd have an effect very quickly. This is actually the purpose of lemon tech, or making a tea, is you're actually dephosphorylating. Just like you burn cannabis, you decarboxylate, Um, you're dephosphorylating psilocybin into psilocin with either hot water or acid, in this case, citric acid, or the acidity of, of, of the lemon juice. And so that converts psilocybin to psilocin, and so what you're getting then is your speed and onset is determined by the amount of psilocin, and that's kind of what I visualize on the y-axis. Those are two factors that I think are important to understand, but that's only two dimensions. Um, there's an ample conversation to have around the effects of the other compounds, baocystin and it's um dephosphorylated version known as nor-silicin. Um Those two are the combination, just like you have psilocybin and psilicin. So psilocybin is to psilicin as baocystin is to norsilicin. Norbaocystin has a dephosphorylated compound. It just doesn't have a fun name. It is just... It is just um, uh four hydroxytryptamine that's it that's it. it's just just like five hydroxytryptamine is serotonin four hydroxytryptamine is the psilicin version of psilocybin and I actually have a cool infographic that I'll shoot you too um that kind of kind of parses that out a little bit honestly one of the biggest distinctions that i would make people aware of is first and foremost the difference between um some people call them albino some people call them leucistic some people call them white um they are going to be a variation of a mushroom that happens when we're cultivating them um specifically when we're cultivating them indoors um their albino penis envy is one version you have um let's see what else uh leucistic um, wavy caps you know there are different names for these different um fruiting bodies anything that is um albino or leucistic in the sense that they're like golden halo i think is another example um anything in that space is going to be in much higher potency than those things that typically and this is just generally speaking i'm not going to try to say that that it's every time that's going to be the case because there are going to be some things with brown caps that are going to test as potent as albino or leucistic but generally speaking anything that is albino or leucistic are going to be um more on the potent side of things and maybe not necessarily worthwhile in micro dosing Um, because it's a little bit harder to get the dosage right with those when they're so potent. Um, Personally, um, I tend to point people more towards, if you're into microdosing, Burma and Golden Teacher, based off of the data that I'm seeing, they tend to be consistently um, in the range that if you took 200 milligrams of Golden Teacher, uh, homogenized Golden Teacher, um, that's going to effectively give you about one milligram of total tryptamines which is i think a good place to start for people trying to get into microdosing. dosing um, if we think about um macro dosing, according to johns hopkins university i believe their numbers for about 155 to 165 pound individual is um 25 to 35 milligrams of psilocybin straight psilocybin Is a is a deep journey. So if we can think about, let's say, let's say five grams. If five grams of mushroom fruiting body is kind of what I equate that number to. So if a person 165 pounds took five grams of mushroom, it would be to me that is the equivalent of what Johns Hopkins is saying: 25 to 35 milligrams of psilocybin is, based off of their studies that I've seen. The, those synthetic cannabinoids that were sprayed onto plant matter and sold as spice for a period of time, um, those failed as well because um, if if for whatever reason, our body does not respond well to single cannabinoids, um, I, I I feel like that that's the reason why nobody bought into those and that's why those things didn't succeed. And that's probably what informed her saying that or them saying that. I'm not going to presume gender. Um them saying that in that way because that's the data that they had worked with and that's what they're being told that's how those people are taught how to work it's like read the research trust the research if it makes sense like vet it like mentally do the work but trust it if it makes sense and that's what the research was saying it's like nobody really got onto those things like marinol failed the jwh the the synthetic cannabinoids failed and so because of that nobody was thinking that cannabis would be as successful as it is but that's the issue that, again, I think that we come to with the uh, singling out THC as this VIP a la the, on, uh, the entourage effect. You know, it's like that's the the issue with that language and that framing. It's like it's not about there being a VIP and everybody else coming along for the ride as the entourage. It's recognize the important value of each part of the plant. And that's why I refer to it as the ensemble effect. I believe that it's like Vivaldi's Spring. You need to have the violin, the viola, and the cello for it to hit you in the heartstrings the way it needs to. But each one of those instruments are essentially the same thing with minor variations in size and strings. You know, that's cannabinoids to me. That's, that's, That's literally those things. And if we can really recognize that there's this language of playing things together, like you take out the violin, spring does not hit you the way it should. You know, if you' only take if you're isolating just the violin, it's not gonna hit the way it should. you know, And I think that there's an important conversation that needs to be had in that space. um and because of that, I think really, when we step back and look at you know mushrooms, things like baocystin and norsilicin, like, I know people that have specifically taken isolated norbeocystin that will specifically say that they did not feel any psychotropic effect from it whatsoever. And honestly, in literature, it is not known to cause the stereotypical head twitch in mice when administered by itself. So the, the, that, the, the head twitch is usually associated with um, mice having a psychedelic effect, uh, experiencing psychedelic effects. Um, and so, that is something that I think is a conversation point. I have this whole hypothesis that I still need to talk to people to see if there's a space to test it, but I believe that we need to recognize, again, serotonin, 5-hydroxytryptamine. Uh, 4-hydroxytryptamine is the um, version of norbeocystin that is like psilicin, okay? So yeah, dephosphorylated, yes. So where is the place that people argue is the second brain? Boom. There's almost as many, if not as many, 5-HT receptors, serotonin receptors, in your gut as there is in your brain. Again, again. So it's putting bread in people's mouths. You know what I'm saying? At that point, like I feel like if the good is there, then this is like I am not in a place to judge a person for what they're trying to do to stay alive. Like it's a fucking rough world. I mean, as much as we don't want it to be, and nature is red in tooth and claw, and it's a jungle out there. So whatever we can do to support ourselves, to support our community, like. We're in this for the same reasons, and that is because there's power in this medicine. And as long as we do the work with and for these teachers, they're, like I'm not the agent of karma. I do not presume myself to be the agent of karma. And I and I think this is the space where it's like, I want to, if somebody says they want to do the thing, I'll give, the, I will voice that. Like somebody says, hey, we would like this to stay as a gift economy kind of a thing. It's like, I will support that voice. Other people that want to do their own thing, I'm not going to go out of my way and say, you're doing something wrong. That's not my place to be there. Like, but I will say like there is a conversation space for both. Just like how I was saying, empiricism and faith can hold space but in, this, in the human brain. Both can hold space. I think it's important that I can say that, hey, this is a person's original belief around this and that person's voice shouldn't be muted. It shouldn't be forgotten. And if you don't want to move with that, that's your call. Outliers need to exist. Rebels need to exist. If we try to crush all rebellion, who are we but the Empire? community it's a community right now for me that's what it is right now first and foremost one of the most important lessons I learned from one of the activists in cannabis who pushed to get it legalized originally I, I quizzed this person specifically about um, if they could go back and change any one thing what would they change and they said in the moment nothing they wouldn't go back and change a thing. Later on, I was bringing up the community that I see in the space, like I've hung out with tons of different cultivators. I've got to work with tons of different people in the space, yourself included, to kind of bring education to the forefront. Um, So I've seen a lot of different people come and this is a community to me, first and foremost. And the person stopped me and said, where's the cannabis community? It doesn't exist anymore. It's a cannabis industry. And that was my takeaway from that conversation. It's like, oh, shit, don't lose that. Don't lose this idea that it's a community first. That's, I think, one of the most important lessons that we can take away from cannabis is we don't let it become an industry. And honestly, this is the rebel in me um, where I say that I don't believe legalization is the path for entheogens that's going to be successful. I. I think decriminalization, removing the barriers between you and the medicines, the teachers, I think is the space that will allow it to stay a community. But as soon as we start legalizing, all we're doing is just changing the paths of the barriers. We're just getting a different labyrinth. Again, so this is that conversation that, again – i I am not here to tell people to take food off their table or to take bread right out of their mouths. Like if there's space in this community for some um I think it's a big ocean. We can all go out and fish the same ocean. Like I feel like that there are definitely spaces right now as long as we keep it in a way where it's like we're not trawling the 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 whole the the base of it all to like we're I think we need to focus on again communities and community centers like i think it should be personally um literal like conversions of old um greenhouses or conversions of old um what's the word i'm looking for um I guess botanic gardens, like or, or, or arboretums and things like that. These kinds of places that are like, you know, maybe they're struggling, or they could it could easily just become an indoor outdoor space where it's like you not only get to see people, the people that work in those spaces don't just work with the plants or the mushrooms, but they also cultivate them. They cultivate the environments where these organisms live. That's what we need to have. We need to have these spaces where people are actively engaged in in the cultivation of both the organisms as well as the community around those organisms. I mean, we need modern shaman. Like, we need people that are going to step into this role of guides within these spaces, like, or with these teachers. Like, we have educators that are helping us to understand uh, physics. Why can't we have educators to help us understand uh, um, altered states? Some, I mean, there are things like airflow is one of the biggest things, but honestly, if the, one of the big things about cannabis is you could do them together. You could literally, like if you're growing cannabis, you should be growing mushrooms too, because again, mushrooms breathe oxygen. One of the issues with having, feeding enough air, free air exchange in mushrooms is tough. Like people put fucking huge ass fans just to increase airflow, Um, What if you had some of that um, oxygen pumped in from your plants into your mushrooms and having those mushrooms then process that into CO2 and pump that back into your plants? You know, it's like... There's this whole exchange that can happen in harmonious conjunction that we're again, like this is the thing that's like, why can't there be a space where we can teach these lessons? That's a lesson that I learned from William Padilla Brown. He was putting algae and his cordyceps together. Like he was having cordyceps grow and then the air from there get pumped into his algae bottles, which were turning that oxygen, I mean that CO2 into oxygen and pumping it back in. The man's a fucking genius. Oh, gosh, yeah. Like just so like, again, like growing your own lion's mane, feeding that into spirulina like that right there is your microdose, your perfectly delicious microdose and your food source in spirulina as a superfood, like right there, like that's a cutting into your bills. and and part of your food consumption, because now you can have and provide for your family a supplemental food source that is beneficial. At the same time, you're benefiting yourself in the nootropics that you're developing for yourself and for your community. Like, Like, having those things available is big. You could do the same with cordyceps. Like, you could do the same with reishi. Like, you could do the same with oyster mushrooms if you wanted to have another food source. Like, all of these are things that I think that Anybody in this space can like one of uh, a group of college students at Berkeley created a company called Ashby Fungi and they go to farmers markets and they sell they literally have a, a, a cultivation space in their house on Ashby in Berkeley and that's become a farmers market business for them like. Full on, like that's amazing. Like that's, and they're again, they're on Instagram at Ashby Fungi. If you want to check them out in the farmers markets, and you're in the Bay Area. Um, that being said, I really think that that's the space where that's who I believe. Um, the people you're asking and reaching out to, the people that need that extra side hustle. Like, this is the thing. Like, supplement your your food source. Supplement your income. Like, people want microdoses. Cordyceps is one of the hottest um, selling uh, fruiting bodies, I think, of mushrooms, period, in the United States. Um, Lion's mane is definitely one of the ones that people are super interested now, too. Like, again, like, you could get more food. Like, you could get uh, fruiting blocks of oyster mushrooms pretty much already inoculated. As soon as they fruit, you can do spore prints of them and just start building your own learn how to do your own maybe cut the cost in half and all of a sudden you're providing food for your community for your family and again if you do the whole spirulina grow with it as well you're good like it while the spirulina does require some lights or you can put them in windows um to get the daytime nighttime cycles like it's a beautiful thing like you get to see Uh, Ecosystems come together. You can educate your family on where food comes from and how food can be grown. It doesn't have to be bought in a store. You know, there's whole independent citizen scientists that we can reach out to that I think would benefit greatly from um, these side hustles that you're talking about. I am a humble Ian doing Ian things. Um, I really appreciate being able to be here. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my community. Like if it wasn't for somebody saying, if we got an instrument, would you be able to do this work? You know, and me being like, I can do that. Yeah. I can definitely do that. And it's been a struggle to even live in the Bay Area. Like if it wasn't for my family, my community, um, and uh, going to school and getting student loans, it would have been a much harder hustle. So I have every ounce of thanks for people like you who have shown up. And paid tickets, but furthermore, like you've shown me gratitude. Like you've brought me into the conversation here in a way that I never would have thought I would have been invited into. Like I appreciate you. Like, I mean, people like yourself, William Padilla Brown, um, Darren from Welcome to the Mushroom Hour. Like, all of these are people that are inspiring to me in the way that y'all are doing your own hustle in your own way. Like to me powerful and growing relationships are inspirational both ways like you inspire me to do these things in a better and more powerful way just like i know just from this conversation that i hear that i'm inspiring you this is what it's about like this is what community does like we're here to support each other as i say friends support friends and this is i i have only so many fucks left to give i am very particular about who i give those fucks to you know? And so in this way, I mean, when you said, Hey, do you want to do this? I'm like, absolutely. It's like, and Reggie wanted to be a part of this too, but I know you guys got to hook up and do your conversation um, in Miami. So being able to have this conversation just one-on-one is really powerful in the way that we could back and forth and not be worried about any of the technical issues. Let's like, just roll with the punches. You know, it's like, that's the space that we need to build for each other because I mean, if i'm coming in here and you know trying to cast judgment on how things went like i wouldn't be in the conversation i would i wouldn't be able to listen to what you're saying and i wouldn't have been able to you know engage in this powerful growth centered idea like we're building our idea of what community is we're coming to this dialogue and this conclusion of what we think we need in community and it might not be the same thing and that's okay because we're knowing what we need from that community and we know how we can show up and be the change we want to see. And that's the step. That's the process. That's what these teachers have taught me. And I'm seeing that in you. One of the my, most powerful things that I've learned is the translation of Namaste. The divine within me recognizes the divine within you. Or as I learned from Boondocks, game recognize game. <laughs>
0: This episode is brought to you by future4200.com, the be-all, end-all resource for everything cannabis, psychedelic lab-related. Future4200.com is your one-stop reference guide for all of the knowledge and products that you'd ever need in your cannabis business. Support this podcast by going to Future 4200 today and checking it out.